This is a sex pot comedy production. Get outside and away from microphones and go on vacations. Head out into the great neighbor to the west, Hit Utah. The pool. Yeah, if you're Jessica Austin, you're leaving the state. And if you're Lauren Ballman, you're staying in the better state. <laughs> oh, that's right. This is technically our final episode of what is our first season of Required Recast. Uh, I'm I'm really proud of us. We did uh, we did more than. <laughs> I think this is eight. This is we eight. never check before we start recording. <laughs> no. And I always say it so confidently. It's fucking never right. This is episode 72 of Required Readcast. Uh, I'm Jessica Austin. And I'm Lauren Ballman. And it's actually episode eight. Yes, and we will be discussing E.B. White's childhood classic, Charlotte's Web. I didn't realize how much I was going to cry when re, uh, re-examining this book. Agreed. I am now a grown-ass woman who is very familiar with this story and um, had several moments when I was reading it through this past time. Well, right before I came over, I was still listening to the audiobook as I walked around Target trying to buy us snacks. And every so often, I would just be like, ah! Because I was listening to the end where they're at the... And, no, and, no. So that's the moment I was listening to right before we came over to record. And I'm sure we'll get to this, but Jessica pointed out that I didn't even know this, that E.B. White actually does the audiobook. So that must make it's it even sweeter. so fucking delightful. No. no. But before we get to that, uh, thanks everybody for listening to the first season. Yes, thank you. one through eight. All one through eight of them. <laughs> Um, it's been our pleasure and we aren't going to be gone for very long. We're just taking a couple months off while Jessica is in Utah. And, uh, Lauren is here. Um, frantically reading Lame as a Rob. (laughs) We have plans for next season, you guys. Um, we'll drop a season two announcement at the end of the summer and encourage you guys to read along as we go through season two. Yes, we will have summer reading lists for you. Just in case you missed having homework assigned to you as a goddamn adult, you're welcome. Too bad. Too bad. We're we're here to bring the homework. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we do that, I I found a really interesting thing about Arthur Miller. Yes, we have a little bit of a follow up from our last episode, The Crucible, yeah, about episode, that playwright. Episode seven, right, was The Crucible, <laughs> um, written by Arthur Miller, and coming up on my Facebook feed this week for some reason um, is information about the Huntington Theater Company's production of a play called Fall. By Bernard Weinrub. I'm positive I'm saying that wrong, but Bernard, thanks for writing this play. Uh, because the premise of uh, Fall is uh, examining Arthur Miller's relationship, or lack thereof, with a son born to his third wife, Inga Morath. And that son had Down syndrome. And this is the first I ever heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Same here. Jessica sent me this article, and I was completely blown away. I had no idea. And one of the things they mentioned in the review in the article and kind of one of the conceits of the play is that Miller didn't acknowledge this child. He wasn't in any of his – he wasn't in his autobiography. It's not mentioned in other research about him. So basically, Arthur Miller had a son born with Down syndrome, and they had the child institutionalized. Right, very, very early. I don't – remember exactly what age they said but I think I mean as a young child yeah I I guess and I guess those were the quote-unquote options back at that time but that's still such a crazy concept to me yeah (laughs) 
Well, and I, I mean, I have obviously not done a lot of research into, you know, the early 19th century or 18th, my God, 20th century. <laughs> we are good with numbers today. <laughs> do the math we just have to say numbers and i cannot say the number Uh, i've done a lot of research into early 20th century you know american families and children but i i feel like we don't hear a lot about the children who were born who weren't perfect right like you have all these like smiling shining like 1950s quarterbacks and cheerleaders but what about the people who weren't perfect specimens we don't see those a lot and especially since he had other children or and this child was um, brother to Rebecca, his most famous daughter. Yeah, who did the documentary. Yeah. And I did see that, um, I guess he was, this child was in Arthur Miller's will. So everything was divided up amongst his children. So there is that acknowledgement. So he financially cared about the child. Right. But I find it really strange that it seems like he spent his whole life not at all relating to this kid. Yeah. But then still left him money, I guess, which well, cool. So clearly I Lauren and I have all the facts about this case and we've done all our homework. <laughs> all no, but anyways, interesting tidbit about Arthur Miller. Anyway, that was let's catch up with uh our dead playwright from last week. Catch up on Arthur Miller. I'd like to say that this week's episode's going to be less depressing, but it's not. It's <sighs> this book. Are you heartwarmed or are you sad? I mean, it's a little bit of both. The ending, you know, with her children and everything is still uplifting. Spoiler alert, Charlotte dies. Lauren! Um, no! <laughs> no, but I really do, I think the thing, and maybe maybe being an adult now has, whoa, as Archer, my dog really loves to get close to the microphone. We're at Lauren's house this week, and the best thing about Lauren's house is we just sprawl out on the floor. So there's, like, notebooks and snacks and dogs <laughs> running around. And it started out out of necessity one time, and now we just kind of like it. And there's a puzzle all over my table anyway. It's a puzzle of Paris, and that's nice. Hey. So I think being an adult for this go-around did bring in that real weight of perspective of this book being about life and death and all, you know, I, I feel like for sure all of those themes stood out more to me maybe now than when I was a child. But I still think as a child, you have to be absorbing that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you don't get a lot of books when you were a kid where somebody dies, uh, especially not the title character right. who is shown to be kind and compassionate and just sort of an all-around badass. And really smart somehow. I'm like, Charlotte has spent some time with encyclopedias or something. I was wondering about that. Because Charlotte A. Cavatica knows her stuff. A uh, girlfriend has um, a great knowledge of anatomy of her <laughs> leg. She can name all the bones or all the parts. Yes. Huge vocabulary. Uh, has an intimate knowledge of what spiders do around the globe of all her different cousins. I was like, Charlotte, is that all coming just in, in your DNA? Do you know all of this because it's passed down from your spidery ancestors? Exactly. I know. I was wondering that too. I was like, how do we absorb this knowledge as a spider? Because I guess you have those things that are passed down, like instinct, that you know animals have learned stuff and it's kind of passed down through their DNA. So I assume 
Charlotte's the same. But that's a lot of assumptions for a children's book. That's true. I guess before we start getting too deep into the characters, uh, the Wikipedia summary for Charlotte's Web is, um, Charlotte's Web is a children's novel by American author E.B. White, and it was illustrated by Garth Williams, which the illustrations in this are adorable as well. It was published in 1952, and it tells the story of a livestock pig named Wilbur and his friendship with a barn spider named Charlotte. When Wilbur is in danger of being slaughtered by the farmer, Charlotte writes messages praising Wilbur, such as some pig, in her web in order to persuade the farmer to let him live. So that's a little basic summary. What would your tweet-length summary be? My tweet-length summary is, A spider loves a pig giving tree style which is another kick to the gut because giving tree gets me as well he makes a canoe out of her (laughs) that little boy in the giving tree he's i've always had some issues with that kid ungrateful shit ungrateful even when he's an old man he's still kind of ungrateful he's like i don't have any tree left well, Bitch is like, why do you think that happened, you little asshole? Oh, I don't know. You took your um, resources and you squandered them. Oh my old god, man. we have some thoughts on the giving tree. <laughs> the, more like the taking tree. <gasps> Wait, taking from tree. I don't know. Anyways, you get what I'm saying. Um, my tweet link summary for uh, Charlotte's Web is destroying childhood innocence in the sweetest possible way since 1952. Oh. Because I do think that that is something E.B. White was very skilled at. He's able to finesse these pretty deep, real topics into and weave them, no pun intended, oh. into this childhood story in a way that you're getting the message, but it's still a good story for kids. Yeah, he doesn't pull any punches. But like, no, he's so very he's very honest. He's straightforward. He's like, yeah. they're gonna kill Wilbur. He uses the word murder, and he uses some. Big vocab words yes. coming out of Charlotte that he doesn't dumb down for kiddos. Like, this reminded me a lot of um, uh, Lemony Snicket's series of unfortunate events, like mm-hmm. the high vocab in those. Mm-hmm. Um, huge words, and he's just like, well, you're going to get them, or maybe I'll, have, maybe I'll have the spider explain it. But it's really lovely. Yeah. How he assumes his readers are intelligent. And I love that. And I noticed that we got some feedback on Facebook, and I feel this way as well, of... Young kids who were big-time readers early, this being, like, one of the first books they picked up, and reading it maybe a little younger than you should be. But I I think I must have had that experience, too, because I was trying to remember when I read this for the first time, and I really, I can't remember. I feel like this book has just always been around in my life. I, I don't remember reading it for the first time. I remember the movie, and I remember the cover that you have. Lauren has, like, the classic fern holding Wilbur with the Garth Williams? Yes. Yeah, with the Garth Williams illustration. It's the goose and fern and Wilbur and the sheep, and then Charlotte's webbing all over the title of the book. And I love, actually, Kate DiCamillo writes the foreword to this version because this is the 60th anniversary edition, so it has, like, a special little foreword. And the very beginning of the foreword is... I was a kid who judged a book by its cover, and the cover of Charlotte's Web made me nervous. Oh, really? For one thing, the pig looked worried. For another, the girl seemed stoically resigned to whatever it was the pig was worried about. And she goes on and talks about how, to her, it looked like it was drawn kind of like this story. And then she talks about how she didn't actually read it until she was 31 years old. Wow. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Well, I don't think the art style is 
necessarily adorable in the way like Disney's it's not adorable. super cutesy, yeah. It reminded me a little, um, did you read Harriet the Spy? Yes. Like the illustrations in Harriet the Spy, they were like line drawings and some of the lines you're like, that character has bags under their eyes. Like Wilbur looks worried. Um, Fern doesn't, is not a Disney little girl. Like she's just a normal girl. Normal with a little country girl with kind of, kind of messy ponytail mm, and scraggly reddish hair just doing her thing. Yeah, and so for the 50s, these were kind of different than your classic illustrations in children's books. Yeah, it doesn't look like the Hardy Boys. Right. Um, uh, what do we know about E.B. White? Oh, we're learning that he was a sweet, kind soul. I told Jessica when I looked him up on his Wikipedia page, the first picture that pops up at the top is him holding this adorable dog. It's a dachshund. This little dachshund. It's so cute. And it seems pretty clear that a lot, of, a couple of the passions in his life were animals, and then writing. Obviously, he wrote um, a couple of children's books. He wrote Stuart Little, which I totally forgot about, and Trumpet of the Swan. Did you ever read that one? I did read that one, and um, uh, A Cricket in Times Square. So all of these books with animal lead characters—they're so sweet. I read. I, I it was given his stuff as a box set, and again, oh. I don't remember when I got it, but I read right. all of those. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I did too. I can't remember um, Trumpet of the Swan very well, but I know I read it. Yeah, I feel like it was a mute swan who somehow got a like actual trumpet. Oh. It was like, burr, burr, burr. Um, But he also wrote a book for adults called The Elements of Style, which was an American English writing style guide and was very popular. I and have that. I had to buy it for grad school. So I think it's really interesting to me this seeing an author that the passions of animals and wildlife and just basic wildlife too, like barnyard animals Mm -hmm. intersecting with this real love of the purity of writing, I think is a really cool mix. Uh, Well, I just love that we posted on our Facebook, we're like, Hey, we're doing Charlotte's web. Anybody have some stories? And our friend Sarah, who lives in New Zealand right now, she chimes in. She's like, Hey, Michelle's uncle, was it Uncle is E.B. White? Yeah, was or Great uncle, uncle, I think. Um, great Uncle. And so, so yeah, Sarah wrote about her wife's um, great uncle was E.B. White, and he used to, like, tell stories to the kids, and they used to call him Uncle Andy. Michelle then chimed in on the thread. She was like, we used to call him Uncle Andy, and it's just the most charming thing in the whole wide world. Sweetest thing ever. And in that foreword, um, there's a quote from E.B. White, he said, all that I hope to say in books, all that I hope to say, oh, sorry, all that I hope to say in books, all that I ever hope to say is that I love the world. That's so uh, I mean, nice. how, how lovely is that? Uh, because the world of this book was a lovely, simple place. Very. Um, yeah, just a regular country farm. And But he finds beauty... In some of the simplest things. Or even um, the choice to make a spider, this beautiful, lovely, feminine character, mm-hmm. is something that, you know, when you're a little kid, all you know of spiders is that they're kind of icky and creepy. Yeah, and you can tear down their webs and squash them. Yeah. And nobody's going to be mad at you. And so to contextualize such feeling into, I found this really great... Um, <laughs> So we always like to find our Simpsons quotes and couldn't find any, but there's a really great Bob's Burgers. Do you want to listen to that? Yeah, I okay. do. Charlotte totally dies. And then I used the book to kill a spider and that like really made me think. 
So I think Jocelyn gets it now about spiders. Mm-hmm. She, had some, she had some feelings about that. I love it short but sweet, and we all knew exactly what it was talking about. <laughs> exactly. But I do really love that about this book. I love, and I think that is something that maybe rang more true to me as an adult, just that concept of finding beauty in the world and there's a lot of shit happening right now. And so it was kind of nice to go to this like simpler time place and just read this pleasant story that was a reminder of it's life and living is what's important. Yeah, there was a section where it was like, there's life everywhere. It's spring and mm-hmm. all the flowers are blooming and inside buds are little tiny bugs and everywhere there's evidence of life. And I loved that section where you know, the farm was coming to life at the beginning of summer. And everyone lives so simply in this book. Like, not even the animals, but also the people. Right. Like, they have a farm. The children go to school. Fern comes home from school, and then she goes and hangs out at the barn all day. That's That's it. That's life. Sometimes they go on the swing, and that's, like, the exciting thing for the day. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they weren't, they're not, um... I don't feel like they're as rambunctious, curious children as, like, Gem and Scout. Like, they're not kind of like those, like how they were with kind of getting into things and exploring. They're, they're a little bit more obedient <laughs> kids. Yeah. Well, okay, let's just start at the beginning of the book. Now, we've talked, we talked E.B. White. Um, let's look a little bit about uh, the, the actual story of Charlotte's Web. Right. Um, and how Wilbur stuck around even in the first place. Yeah. Uh, so, Fern. where's Papa going with that axe, says <laughs> is Fern. the first line of the book. Which could be ominous in a Stephen King book, but in this, it's a little bit nice. Um, I, I, you know, you and I both have done this show. It's so funny. And I was Fern in the Goose. Oh. So, and you were the president of the fair. I was the narrator. I was the president of the fair, and I was a reporter. Ah. And I, and I told Jessica my, my goal was to do a Jennifer Jason Lee voice as the reporter. And, hey, that's some pig. But, unfortunately, my director did not care for that choice. Hack. Uh, um, but, yeah, no, the play is very fun. It's, and and I, I like that you have this little girl, like, noticing. I like that the protagonist is a little girl. Yes. Um, just who kind of looks and is like, that's not good. My father's carrying an axe through the barnyard. Um, so Fern stops um, that dad Arable. Fern Arable is the name of the, the girl. And so father Arable is like, I'm going to just kill this pig. It's too small. We always take the runt. Yeah, we always kill the runt. And she was like, what? No. And so she argues for, like, the injustice of killing this pig. And dad's like, all right, fine. You can If you you're going to take it. care of it, then yeah. So Fern has herself an adopted pig that she bottle feeds and he sticks around in a box next to the stove, and then they move him outside to like the a little shed, a pen they make for him. And this is where my adult radar started going off real hard, because as a child, you're like, okay, it's a pig, it's a barnyard animal. But as adults, we know that pigs have the intelligence of our dogs. Mm-hmm. So everything they were doing with Wilbur and then to Wilbur, I could not help but imagine that, that this is a dog. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he's... He come, and he becomes very puppy-like yeah, in the early telling of the story. Yeah, he, like, you know, runs after fur and takes her to the Follows bus stop. Follows her everywhere, yeah. Um, he's, oh, my he, God. He goes down to watch him swim in the creek. And then at some point, Dad is like, well, gotta sell the pig. Because of that simplistic, they can't, they can't take care of it. They don't have yeah. enough resources to... It's another mouth to feed. Yeah, it's really when um, Wilbur stops just drinking milk and starts, like, eating table scraps. Dad's like, nope, gotta go. And I found it was so interesting that Fern 
is like, well, how much should I ask for him? <laughs> and I was like, you got on board with selling your beloved pig. Real quick. Pretty fast there, Fern. <laughs> I have some affection for Fern, but I question some of her choices coming up because she's a little fickle, that one. Yes. So insta- Money is important to Fern because she really... I, I was also surprised later when she skips seeing him getting his award because she just has to ride the Ferris wheel. I wanted to punch her at the fair. I'm like, fa- Fern. Fern. You are cracked out on candy apples or something. Like, you need to chill. Yeah. <laughs> Can I have 40 cents? I was like, I'm going to punch you. We'll get there. We'll get We'll get there. The, the, the arable children take a big switch, in my estimation, by the end of this book um, because Fern's brother, Ugh. Avery... Is a little shitburger sociopath. Nightmare preteen boy. <laughs> yeah. So Fern is like nine in this book. And so Avery must be like he's 11, be 11 or 12. tops. And he's just like, I'm going to smash everything. I want to smash and break and kill. I got a frog in my pocket. What's that? Can I hit it with a stick? And you're like, he just comes in and is a monster. Oh, Avery. Just kicking everything over. <laughs> You just feel like he enters the house accompanied by smashing sounds. It doesn't even matter if there's anything to smash. It's just like, ah. The whole time, the whole time, because I mean, he's kind of a dick to animals. So I was like, okay, that's a sign of a serial killer. Well, yeah. then when they eventually go for a swing in the barn, I was like, is he going to fall off that swing? It's like if he hits his head and gets a concussion, I am out of here. Yeah. I'm sorry, maybe E.B. White did grow up to be Stephen King, and Avery is in later books because... <laughs> Jesus, this kid is fucked up. Um, so they, s- <laughs> they they sell Wilbur for $6 to uh, Fern and Avery's uncle, Homer Zuckerman, who has the Zuckerman farm down the way. By the way, because E.B. White is such a grammar stickler, do you think he did the A to Z on purpose? The Arables and the Zuckermans? Now I do. That popped out You're to so me. so smart. It's like, I bet that was E.B. White being clever. It was. Good job, Uncle Andy. Yay! Uncle Andy! <laughs> Uncle Andy! So Wilbur goes there, and he gets to live under the barn in the manure pile. And he's... <laughs> but now he's sad because Fern's not there, and he doesn't know anybody. And she comes to visit him a lot, but not enough. And he's really depressed when he gets there. And Wilbur cries a lot. Wilbur is like Charlie Brown of pigs. Um, <laughs> Wilbur is... Like, oh man, that little pig weeps over the slightest thing, and it's adorable and sad and sweet, and, and he's kind just of like, like, oh Wilbur. He, yeah, no, he's lonely and he's depressed at the farm, and there are other animals there. There's some geese who encourage bad behavior. They're <laughs> sheep, sheep who are assholes. There's of course our dear friend Templeton the rat, who is just a uh, curmudgeon, and yeah. I grow to love him. A little sneak. Hmm. I have a quote. There's chapter four is just called loneliness. And in his mind, Wilbur like details his day of what's going to happen. I have hour the same part hour. highlighter. Oh, and I love it. And my favorite one is from three to four, he planned to stand perfectly still and think of what it was like to be alive and to wait for Fern. Uh... I love that. And I was like, I need to do that. <laughs> I just was- showed Lauren my phone where I have the exact same quote highlighted. <laughs> exact same quote. Get out of my head, please. This is why we podcast together. I only highlighted like three things. Um, That's hysterical. I no, love but this. that line, kill- I'm like, I need to do that with my life. I think I should take some time to stand perfectly still and think of what it's like to be of life. Yep. 
And he segments his day in hours, by yes. the way. Wilbur does not like that think about like 15 minutes. I may, maybe I'll just like itch my ear. No, he's like, I am going to commit to an hour long segment and it's going to be great. <laughs> Thank you. I can't believe you. Well, I can believe you highlighted the same quote because uh, it's us. Well, I, I like the whole Wilbur getting to the barn and being depressed because I was like, I feel you, buddy. Yeah, There's man. nothing to do. I just want to lay on my side and be sad. Yeah. I have days like that. Um, our friend, our friend on the Facebook, Lou Aducci, wrote. Uh, he was like, it made me think better of spiders and less of pigs. Oh, because Wilbur kind of whines and complains a lot. Yeah, self centered. He is a little bit, but he's young. But he's a he's a wee one. He's a wee pig, and he doesn't know much about the world, and mm-hmm. he has to rely on other people to show him. Well, and unfortunately, if he's raised like a dog, I think he kind of thinks that he's more of a pet mm-hmm. than a. Uh, piece of livestock right that is eventually going to be murdered right mm. but out of this loneliness finally one magical day he hears a little whisper and it's this little voice telling him that if he's just patient he'll see her in the morning and he'll have a friend i'll be your friend wilbur and so he's so excited and waiting all night isn't that what you just want when you're like lying by yourself in the dark and you're sad for some voice out of somewhere just to go i'll be your friend yeah. You're like, thank you, voice. I'm not here to judge you. I just, I'll just be your friend. I'm just going to hang out with you. Uh, and so immediately she teaches him a vocabulary word. <laughs> She's like, salutations. <laughs> What's that? Oh, bless you, Charlotte A. Kavanagh. It's a fancy word for greeting, because I'm a fancy spider. She's the fanciest. I love her. She just makes everything better with her presence. I feel like this whole barn, because before Charlotte spoke up in the dark, the, the sheeps, or the sheeps, Damn sheeps. The, the, the sheep were dicks to Wilbur. Mm-hmm. The lambs, the baby sheeps, were also dicks to Wilbur. The goose was just like, hey, break out of your pen. Yeah. Hey, break out of your pen. Break out of your pen. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. In your mind is the goose, Burt Reynolds. <laughs> it hey. is now. Hey, break out of your Can pen. I you, when I played the goose, <laughs> I, I was excited to play Fern in the Children's Theater production, but I was like, I don't know what to do with this goose. So I decided to make him Canadian. <laughs> So my goose talked like that, eh? Oh, break out of your pen, eh? And just, yeah, hey there, Wilbur. T-W-E-R-R-I-F-F-A. Hey, you got to do a fun voice. I did get to do a fun voice. I was in your production. It was fun. Damn. My production was still really fun, but I still wanted to do that voice. Hey, break out. Oh, God, now I'm never going to be able to read this again without thinking of the key circuit. Well, I was the goose, and this other dude was the gander, and he turned to me after the read-through and went, is your goose Canadian? And I was like, yeah, and he's like, Great, we're both going to do that. Sweet. So we both were just Canadian geese for no fucking reason, other than it was very entertaining. Yeah, and she's all, she's sitting on her eggs, so she can't be bothered. No, she can't. Um, and who else sucks? Uh, uh, Templeton. Templeton's but, I mean, he's all about himself. He's so. a rat. You he's know, a rat. I think there's a little bit of gold somewhere in that heart mm-hmm. we see by the end. We do. Because he still helps out. He as, helps. Albeit reluctantly. He grumbles, and he makes a huge deal out of it. But he helps. But he helps. Oh. Every time. So, and it's Charlotte's presence, Charlotte's arrival in that barn that kind of brings everybody together. Mm -hmm. She's like smart and articulate and helpful and kind, and she doesn't put up with anybody's shit. No, and I think she reminds them all of what, you know, to look around and see the good things that are in their life and in their barn. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, she does. She really shifts the, uh, the tone. I didn't look up enough about the lives of real spiders. To know, like, what the lifespan is of an actual spider. I bet this is pretty accurate. Like, how accurate he was being about. But I don't know. 
hey, if you're an arachnid specialist, uh, please tweet yeah. at us at our EQ Readcast. <laughs> and let us know what the uh, lifespan of the spider was. <laughs> but anyway, so yes, Charlotte shows up and everything's getting a little better until the moment where it's the sheep, right? Oh, yeah. Who reveals that, oh, hey, well, guess what? Hate to tell you this, Wilbur, but um, they're going to fatten you up so that they can kill you. Yeah. Well, and the goose lets us know earlier because the goose has an inner monologue where she's like, right. oh, look at Wilbur over there. He has no idea that come winter, they're all going to kill him. And as a reader, you're like, what the fuck? Say what? What? I know, and I, time. I, I thought about that too. Do you think that this was one of your first exposures to death? To like what death really means? Yes. Because I'm pretty sure it was for me as a kid. Oh. Like, I, because of how young I read this when I don't remember when I did, but I, I guarantee that for a lot of children, this is probably the first time you're being confronted with what death is well, in where, a real way. Yeah, I mean, where else in popular entertainment are you going to find that? No, like, especially not in books. They sugarcoat it so much in so many kids' books. Mm-hmm. Well, on Facebook, our friend Selena, who's a parent of two young children. Right. I think, how old are they now? Maybe getting closest to 10? But she was saying, uh, this is the first chapter book that she read to them. They picked it, and she was like, and then they wouldn't let me read a chapter book to them again for a very long time. <laughs> they had to read a, what, Where the Wild Things yeah, Are. They had to go back to Where the Wild Things Are, because Charlotte's <laughs> Wild well was too traumatic. They were like, What? Exactly. No, and it is. It's very startling, especially I can imagine when you're a child. So, uh, you, so yeah, Wilbur eventually figures out that he's going. He's being fattened up to be eaten, and uh, immediately starts freaking out and crying and crying and having some sort of pig panic attack. Pig. <laughs> I feel Wilbur screams a lot in this book. Like it wasn't Wilbur said; it was Wilbur screamed, and that happened a lot. And I was like, Wilbur, I. I totally understand you, my little fat piggy friend, because... <laughs> and I picture Wilbur needing, like, the pig version of a fainting couch. <laughs> just putting, like, his little hoof over his head and be like, oh, <laughs> passing so out. They have, they've, they've developed a method by the end of the book to get him to wake up because he faints so much. <laughs> he's, he's such a drama queen. <laughs> he really is, but I love him anyway. So he immediately starts screaming. And uh, Charlotte's like, calm down, I'll figure it out. Calm down. And then <laughs> I'm she I'm going to think does. of a plan. She and comes she, up with a good plan. And she sits on it for a while. I mm-hmm. love those little moments where they're talking about her, like, essentially meditating, where she she says that she um, she hangs with upside down so that all the blood will rush to her head and it helps her think better. <laughs> because yeah. what spider says that. I like that she has the thing of, you know, humans are always running around trying to get shit done. And she's like, just sit here. And I know flies will come to me, and I know an idea will come to me. She says a lot, never hurry and never worry. I like that, which is uh, the opposite of what I do in my life. Uh, I I do both. I hurry and worry all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was like, I'm going to listen to Charlotte a little bit. So thanks, Charlotte, for reminding me to slow down just a touch. And so she figures out that she's going to trick the humans. Uh, Mm -hmm. And she says that, you know, she can trick flies, she can trick humans, because flies are smarter than humans. Mm -hmm. So she Fair spins point. in Wilbur's web the words, some pig. Aww. And he is some pig. He is some pig. And Lurvy, the, the derpy handyman, comes out to feed to slop <laughs> Wilbur. Comes out to slop Wilbur and sees it and freaks out. What? Oh, and I do want to point out real quick, before this happens, so Fern is always visiting... 
And there's one night where they're like around the arable dinner table talking and she's telling her stories about like, oh, and Charlotte said this and then Wilbur says this and the mom is like, I'm going to need to talk to Dr. Dorian because the, the mom's first instinct is like, my daughter must be crazy. Mrs. Arable sucks. Mrs. Arable is no bueno and does not foster her child's imagination. No. She's like, no, she's, she's spent too much time in that barn. She needs to go be like her brother and break shit. Exactly. But what I love is that later there's a scene where she does talk to the doctor and good old Dr. Dorian is like, you know what? She's a little girl and she has an imagination and you should be glad about that. Yeah. And your daughter's fine. She's fine. Stop freaking so out. So get out of my office. It makes me sad. It makes me sad for like any shot. Like that, that sort of like, didn't you feel like Mrs. Arable was just one of those people who's so basic? Yes. And I think that that was probably a good thing. That's probably a good thing for kids to read too, if they're a little different or if they're one of those kids that maybe their parents, their parents don't really seem to get them is like, I like that there's that moment of somebody saying, no, you're, she's just fine. Mm-hmm. Because chill out, Mrs. Arable. Yeah. She's fine. Yeah. Just um, we might need to worry about your son because he's clearly. Yeah, how many times has he fallen off the swing set? We should probably just have him locked up right now. <laughs> Call, never mind. <laughs> Bleep. Anyways, so some pig. Some pig. Hooray. Uh, Mr. Zuckerman comes down. Mrs. Zuckerman comes down. Like the arables check it out. They call the preacher. They have the yes. priest come over. He goes, doesn't he go and like spend an hour with them? Yeah, and he gets, Mr. Zuckerman like takes a shower and gets dressed in his Puts nicest his real suit. real clothes on. Yeah, his best clothes to go see the preacher. The preacher's like, it's a miracle. Yeah. Um, so people are coming from all over to see Zuckerman's some pig. And this is where Mrs. Zuckerman is cool. Yeah. Because Mrs. Zuckerman right away is like, because Mr. Zuckerman's going on about, oh, he's some pig, so Wilbur must have done this. And Mrs. Zuckerman's the only one going, um, it's in a spider web. Do you think maybe the spider had something to do with it? Nope. Must be the pig. Burp, burp, burp. So Mr. Zuck- Mrs. Zuckerman is like the only woman in this book who I feel like is actually trying to like advocate for. <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Zuckerman has a good head on her shoulders. Any of she the other female that. perspectives. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, guys, yeah, I know it's referencing the pig, but who made it? Who made it, though? Well, it must have been the pig. So eventually, Charlotte, being uh, being awesome, ha- is like, well, we better do another message. Mm-hmm. Um, I need more words. I need more words. And so this one is suggested by the goose. Was it the goose's suggestion? Da blah, blah, blah. I love how the goose has like the repetitive yes. um, for some reason. So they suggest terrific, and the goose tells Charlotte how to spell it totally incorrectly uh, with too many double letters. What am I? Am I an acrobat? Exactly. Um, so she does. I know. It. I love the moments where Charlotte gets a little bit sassy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, she, she knows that she's tops and that the rest of this barnyard ain't the best. It's kind of my favorite. And through that, they then send Templeton on a quest to go find her more words because they're running out of good words. Well, I like that um, the sheep suggested Templeton go do it because until that point, the sheep had been really negative. And at that point, the sheep's like, all right, I'm starting to warm up to I'm you. I'm in on this now, too. Yeah, I'm in it. And the barn, like, becomes this little community around the goal of saving Wilbur. Well, and what I love is, is that Charlotte phrases it to all of them of, mm-hmm. if something happens to Wilbur, it affects all of you. And, like, for Templeton, she says, well, the winter's coming soon. And if they kill Wilbur, they're not going to be dumping any more warm slops in, in the trough. And then you won't get your food. Um, Templeton, everything is connected. To food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> I meant like circle of life. No, no, I know. <laughs> I thought you were just talking about Templeton specifically. Yes, circle of life for all of us, food specifically for Templeton. <laughs> If something in the chain of command at the barn goes down, you're not getting your dinner, rat face. And he's like, ooh, I better help. So Templeton has a series of visits to the dump, which, uh, well... Is kind of hilarious. I, I like I like how E.B. White starts to describe things. Like, yes. When he describes um, the meals that Wilbur gets, like skim milk and bread crust and a little beach of cheese and a remnant of a donut. And Yeah. Okay, it, gross if you think about it too hard but when he's just listing off all of the things that go in that bucket I honestly think it kind of sounds a little delicious I read this if I were on, a pig. on the Wikipedia page mm-hmm. they said the description of the experience of swinging on a rope swing at the farm is often excited often cited example of rhythm in writing mm-hmm. as the pace of the sentences reflects the motion of the swing that section is amazing. Just, yeah. You can feel like you are climbing up in this hayloft, which you might have. Have you ever climbed in a hayloft? No. Me neither. And just jump, and you're like, oh, and then you see the sky, and then you're back in, and it was a wonderful passage. So yeah, his description, really, it, of these kind of, mun, not mundane, mm-hmm. but sort of just things that don't seem very special, he mm-hmm. makes special. Well, it's so... Much better than just saying he went to the dump and there was a bunch of garbage there. Right. He lists the things. Yeah. I remember um, like a, a crank for an old ice box. Yes. Or ice machine. Ice cream. Ice cream maker, maker that doesn't work. And all of those little details, those little specifics, like build you the world of this town. Like who dumps stuff at the dump? Yeah. What kind of people are eating those scraps that they feed to the pig? Because I, th- I feel like ultimately this could have been a much more simplistic story with not nearly as much heart to it mm-hmm. and he found a way to give it a lot of heart the world is so sweet and it lovely is. and like i was thinking nowadays like what kind of garbage we have at our houses <laughs> like really what could you feed a pig and i'm thinking of all those things they like feed to wilbur in the slop bucket and i was like none of that goes in my garbage i yeah. don't eat that well yeah we don't cook things <laughs> we don't we don't have like potato peelings and and we're very wasteful. We're very wasteful. <laughs> like when you think about, that's the other thing that got me thinking too, is just the function of this farm and how everything, I mean, they're recycling everything because all of their scraps are going to the animals and mm-hmm. they're recycling. It really is, it really does make you kind of stand back and go, well, we've become very wasteful people. I need to cook more and not bacon. Oh, I'm starting to think about being a pescatarian after this book. Oof. And I like me some meat, but... It's rough. Just this whole Wilbur thing. Yeah. He, he's as smart as a dog. I mean, I was saying there's no direct Simpsons quotes in this one, but I do wonder if... I'm like, did Lisa Simpson read this, and this is part of why she became a vegetarian? Yeah, I feel like this book is very far in Lisa Simpson's psyche. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, but it is. It really makes you kind of go, ooh, Eww. what am I doing? And I and I love me some bacon. Mm-hmm. But... I'm going to be thinking of Wilbur now, next time I eat it. Is it worth it? Right. I don't know. Right. So, uh, the Templeton goes to the dump on some missions, and he's got to bring back scraps of uh, print so Charlotte can write it in the he's web. finding all these random things that are not good words. Oh, yeah. Or uh, cris- crispy? Crunchy. Crunchy. Oh, yeah. Crunch, speaking of bacon. That because then they're going to make it, make it think oh. of, mm-hmm. of food. Pre-shrunk. <laughs> And then finally, with new radiant action. Yes. And then he found, that's a soap box, mm-hmm. right? Soap flakes. 
And I love that too. And I love that he was too lazy. He's like, I don't want to go to the dump again, but I've been seeing this old soapbox and it's right nearby. So I'm going to go rip a piece of that off because I'm Templeton. Um, and I also like that E.B. White's like Charlotte, who had never used soap flakes in her life. And you're like, of course she didn't. Because she's a she spider. So radiant becomes the next word. He was radiant. He was radiant. everything happens in threes. There are three <laughs> things in the barn. And then they're like, well, it's the end of summer. And it's a beautiful kind of transition into that when E.B. White starts talking about yes. like the sound of crickets and how that affects all of the animals and the people on the farm and in this world. And it's really melancholy as it starts to wind down. Yeah, that you, you start to f- feel the sense of kind of loss that he's building into. And, and kids are, you know, summer is over and they're going to have to go back to school. And, but the final thing is going to be this fair. Yeah. Well, one thing, like, isn't, it's so bittersweet at the end of summer just because not only is it the end of a vacation, and I think it's different for you and I now that we're, like, goddamn adults, but, like... <laughs> no, but I still feel it, too. Because it's past. Mm-hmm. You're like, the summer of my, whatever, my ninth year is past. Ne- I will never be a, a nine-year-old in the summer again. Mm-hmm. Next summer, you might, like, start liking boys. The next summer, you might start liking video games. Like, yeah, just kind of that innocence of some of those childhood years yep. that really only <sighs> exist in that time of mm-hmm. your life. And, yeah, it's, it's starting to wane. You're not going to have that experience again. I was really sad. There's even that moment at the very beginning when they get to the fair when Avery and Fern like go to walk away and I think like the parents have a moment of well we're just letting them go well they're gonna have to go anyway kind of a thing there's even that little it's so sad um so then they go to the fair Mr. Zuckerman's like Lurvy build a crate (laughs) so they build Wilbur a fancy crate can we talk about Lurvy for a second what's Lurvy's deal like we don't know much about Lurvy's life. He's the hired man. <laughs> he works on the Zuckerman's farm. Mm-hmm. He uh, pretty much, I mean, he seems like he's a good employee. He does all the things that they mm-hmm. ask of him. When the crickets start chirping, he knows that's when he starts needs to plant potatoes. Like, he's got he's good at his job. Mm-hmm. But he's not the brightest. No, he's a little Lurvy. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, he, but he's a good man. But I feel like, I feel like of all the characters, he's the least... Like, we don't really know a whole lot about... I mean, come on, this book isn't... I guess it's not rife with backstory. <laughs> we didn't go into Lurvy's time in the army. Chapter 9, Lurvy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was a boy named Lurvy. But boy. I did... He was the one that I, I feel like I kept wondering, like, what's up with Lurvy? Like, what's his deal? What does he think about all this? Lurvy doesn't think about things. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to go put more straw in the barn. That's what I think. That's what Lurvy's going to do. <laughs> Lurvy's going to do what Lurvy's going to do. <laughs> and that is put more straw in the barn. And now it's build a crate. So they build over this fancy crate that, like, paint it. Is it green or something? Yeah, and they put Zuckerman's famous pig. Zuckerman's famous pig. Because they're going to take him to the fair and see if he can win some sort of medal or ribbon. Which, you know, as somebody who went to agriculture camp for two summers. Excellent. Um, I do have to say that they were... Get a little big for their britches, because as we find out, <laughs> Wilbur doesn't win the prize first prize. No, because he's not the biggest. He's pig. considerably smaller than the. Yeah. In the merits of pig judging, Wilbur does not measure up. Um, so I think. Oh, and in that moment, <gasps> Uncle the pig, forget what it. What a dick! There's a pig that lives next to Wilbur. He's at the fair. He's a fucking asshole. He's Char- like, I don't have a name. They call me Uncle. I'm like, this is what happens when the, a pig wasn't loved. 
Mm-hmm. Nobody loved that pig. <laughs> Uncle's kind of an ass. Well, I find it interesting that Uncle was born that spring, too. And whereas Wilbur has maintained this wonderful naivety, Uncle's like, eh, fuck you guys. <laughs> they just fatten me up. <laughs> Um, so yeah, he's an unpleasant asshole with a bad sense of humor, and Charlotte does not care for him. Yes. Oh, because Charlotte and uh, Templeton go in the crate to, to the, the fair. fair. Yeah. And, and Charlotte, oh, leading up to this, Charlotte's being like, I don't know if I can make the trip. I had this really big project I've got to take care of. I'm getting tired. I'm getting tired. And you're starting to go, uh-oh. Uh-oh. And Wilbur, sweet little self-absorbed pig pig that he is, is like, mm. but I need you. This is my big moment. Why aren't you going to be there? So she decides to go. And then we find out she makes what she calls her, <laughs> her masterpiece. Her final, her her final masterpiece. Opus. She teaches Wilbur a little Latin before she nice. dies. <laughs> oh. um, I will remember. So, um, so Charlotte goes to the fucking fair. And this is the part in the podcast where I'm crying now. Please pause while Lauren and Jessica weep into the microphone. So she summons all of her fictional spider. Is this spider? (laughs) Okay, so she goes to the fair. Okay. Uh, She goes to the fair. She goes to the fair. She makes her magnum opus. She teaches Wilbur what magnum opus means. She teaches Wilbur Latin, and then um, she lays her egg sack at the fair. Yeah. And then she, she, that's where she does one last sign for Wilbur, and it says humble, which has two meanings. Um, uh, modest and close to the ground. Was it, was it modest and close to the ground? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. So, which are both words to describe Wilbur, which, yeah, okay. So it says humble in the spider web, and everybody gives Wilbur attention. And think, she thinks that in, and she thinks within her egg sack there's like 514 eggs. eggs. And Wilbur's going, oh, you're going to have 514 babies. That's going to be so exciting. We're going to have so much fun. Well, except I won't be here to see them. And Wilbur's like, what? Because she just tells him, like, I'm going to be dead. I'm going <laughs> to die. My time's coming. But before I do... I'm going to make you this sign. I'm going to make you one last sign and save your life. Because I said I was going to save your life. And yes, because they also find out at that moment that Uncle Asshole Pig won the blue ribbon. So there's that last moment of fear of like, okay, Wilbur didn't win an award. Are they going to eat him? They're going to kill him and eat him. Yeah, so Uncle, so everybody arrives. Charlotte promised she'd save his life. Oh my God. So everybody arrives at the the, at the fair ready to, like, compete. And Avery's like, hey, guys, there's already a blue ribbon on that other pig stall. And Fern's like, I need 40 cents for the Ferris wheel. That's where Fern loses me. Because everyone is sad. Mr. Zuckerman, Mrs. Zuckerman, the Arables, Lurvy, even Avery. Even Avery noticed it. The heartless sociopath is sad about Wilbur. And Fern's like, give me money. <laughs> Because she met a boy named Henry fucking Fussy. It's and always she, a goddamn boy. It's always a boy. She's nine years old. Right. Why is she going on Ferris wheel rides when she's nine years Listen, old? Listen, Mrs. Arable. And Mrs. Arable's thrilled about it. She's like, who would have thought it? Henry Fussy. And you're like, I'm sorry. Your daughter's nine. Are you considering her engaged? Hold up. <laughs> uh, 
who would have thought it? Henry Fussy. I had friends who were boys when I was nine. We ran all over the neighborhood. My mom didn't think we were engaged. <laughs> this is terrible, your priorities. <laughs> all it took was 40 cents and one Ferris wheel ride. And Fern is now set for life. Boom. <laughs> and from that moment, Fern's into boys. Like, the rest of the book, she doesn't, like, she doesn't it's care. It's kind of a bummer. Because... I feel like this is one of the moments where Wilbur needs her most, and she totally bails. <laughs> when you know who steps up? Mm-hmm. Avery. Yeah. He, like, is proud of the pig, and he's helping, like, get him up when he faints again. And, <laughs> and they show- point out the humble sign, and everyone's yeah. all excited, and yes, he is humble. Oh. And then, luckily for everyone, um, somebody from the fair comes to Mr. Arable, or I Mr. Zuckerman. Like Mr. Fair President. Mr. You- President of the fair. I'm president of the fair. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, he, they, they let Mr. Zuckerman know that he needs to bring Wilbur to the stage because they're going to be giving him a special award, and everyone gets very excited. Mrs. Zuckerman, real quick, gives him another buttermilk bath. It's the cutest thing. She's like dumping buttermilk on this no, pig. Oh, and he looks all white and pink and cute, and his little ears get all pink. And so they end and up giving. It. I know, and they end up giving him his own special award and a little gold medal and 25 whole dollars, which I think was probably a whole lot of money. Uh, back then, yep. Um, Considering they paid $6 for the pig, that is $19 pig profit. Yeah, but they all they say is that it's uh, in token of our appreciation of the part played by this pig, this radiant, this terrific, this humble pig in attracting so many visitors to our great county fair. So, there you go. Yep, Wilbur gets called out. He gets some recognition. And by everybody helping Wilbur, he helped the whole town. Shut up. I have had it. They all came together to rally around this little pig. And so now that they know that they won $25, they're like, well, his fate's set. They're never going to kill this pig. No, they they love Wilbur. He's He's too special. It's great. Yay, Wilbur saved. And then there's one more problem. (laughs) Charlotte's egg sack is at the fair. Yeah, and Charlotte is like, I'm not going to make it back. I'm not going back, Wilbur. I'm staying here. I'm going to die here alone at the fair. And so she's too weak to move. So, like, Wilbur gets temple. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jess. (laughs) Oh, this is the worst. Okay, I got this. I got this. Can't talk. So Wilbur... (laughs) Wilbur has to get Templeton to do one last favor, and Templeton is not having it because he feels like he's done too many favors for this pig. And Wilbur tells him, if you do this one thing for me, you can get the first choice out of my trough for the rest of our lives. Templeton's like, done. Goes up very gingerly, gets the egg sack, because Wilbur knows he needs to take it back to the barn, because otherwise what's going to happen to Charlotte's kids? And then they just have to leave. And, and Charlotte's like laying there and like she just kind of looks barely at Templeton. able to breathe. She can't even move. I'm really upset. Jessica, I don't think I've ever seen her this upset. I don't usually have emotions that I show to people. All it took is Charlotte's web to ruin our lives we're slash not, make them better and then ruin them again. We're not doing where the red fern grows. Oh, hell no. Fuck that. Absolutely not. To all of you who have asked, this is what would happen, only way worse. Oh, Because um, this is just a spider. Well, not really, though. <laughs> so, yeah, and then the last line of that chapter when Charlotte dies is that she died alone. It's the last line of the... Oh, oh, and that killed me. I 
I, uh, no one was with her when she died. Well, great. Thanks, A.B. White. <laughs> We're going to take a pause for a special break while Jessica and Lauren weep all over the place and wipe their faces. I'm going to get my shit together. Hold on. <laughs> Everyone blow their noses? All right, we're All back. Right. I think I'm back. I think okay. I got it together. Cool. Cool. So, Charlotte's gone, but they have the egg sack, and Wilbur guards it with his life and takes care of it, and his purpose now is to make sure he's around for Charlotte's kids, and the arrival of the little spider babies is just... They're just tiny and adorable. And they all, every time they pop out, wave hello with one of their little itty-bitty grain of sand hands. Oh, they're so sweet and tiny and cute. And they're adorable. And they're all saying hi to Wilbur. And he's trying to tell them all about who their mother was. And And 511 of them? Or 510 of them? Because three stay behind. So 511 of them all eventually start to, like, (laughs) air balloon away. They're like, (laughs) it's the bricks. They're like, we're out. Bye. We've got to go bye. live our spider lives, but three of them decide to stay, and he gives them all very sweet names, and um, the cycle continues because they they then keep having their spider babies, and there's always a couple that stick around, and Wilbur continues to tell the story, and Charlotte lives on. Her legacy lives on, which is the sweetest thing. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? Uh, oh no, why'd you do that? Because I wanted to make you cry again. Hey, you're seeing Hamilton in three weeks. Yeah! Speaking uh, of becoming a big pile of tears, <laughs> catch Lauren at the Chicago Theater on June 27th um, as she melts into the floor. Oh, it's going to be so great. Um, it's not often that someone comes along who is a true friend and a good writer. Charlotte was both. And so was E.B. White, I think. I think so. He was a nice guy. Uncle Andy. Uncle Andy. We love you, Uncle Andy. Um, so we did get this. Uh, speaking of, of um, Temple 10, we did, get, <laughs> <laughs> we did get one submission from a dear friend of the pod, Michael Bouchard, who played Temple 10 in the Arvada Center production. Um, and his tweet length summary is actually a little different because he did it from Templeton's perspective. <laughs> it's the story of a lovable, lovable rat who's constantly put upon by a pushy spider and clueless pig to run errands until one day after many months of interrupted sleep and thankless chores, the spider magically disappears and the pig offers him first choice of everything in his trough. <laughs> Templeton's trough. Templeton's trough. By act, wait, at actor Michael Boo. <laughs> yeah, how do they follow Michael on the tweets? Oh, yeah, you can. You can find dip, 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 dip. You cannot find Cut to, start no. over. I mean, I don't know. He might be into that. I don't, I don't know his life. Um, you can follow Michael Bouchard on at actor Michael Boo. B-O-U. It'd be better if it was B-O-O, like, hey, boo. Hey, boo. Michael. Oh, Michael, hashtag hey, boo. Can you spell your name different? Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for the story. Now just change the spelling of your uh, name. Uh, and that's, I think it's the same production that Maggie Tisdale was in. Uh, and I hounded her for um, for a couple things. And so she played Charlotte in that production of Charlotte's Web. And she tells this great story about um, trick-or-treating with my kids. A woman stopped me in the street and gasped, You're Charlotte! Girls, this is Charlotte! Her kids were starstruck and couldn't speak to me, but the mom said they talked about the show for weeks afterwards. Oh, that is so sweet. She writes, I'm unbelievably proud to be associated with such a beloved character. 
It's oh, just I so love that. incredibly sweet. And they are. These are all such beloved characters. Templeton, too. He's a beloved little curmudgeon. Well, I think now my question is, who's your favorite character who's not Templeton? Because <laughs> I feel like he's a crowd favorite. Yes. No. I mean, is it cliche to say Charlotte? Mm-mm. Because I really do love her. Even more this time around. I do feel you- like her wisdom and her just groundedness and her just her honesty like this is what my life cycle is y'all like this is how it goes she was very Mm self-possessed for an animal whose life cycle is only a summer long it reminded me a little bit have you ever read that um that short play time flies Mm -mm. by uh uh oh david ives Mm -mm. it's a great little it's just like a 10 minute play but it's about two mayflies oh great it's really adorable great but it's kind of that concept of like, I mean, they only get 24 hours. So, um, but yeah, I think Charlotte really is not, not just a favorite character in this book, but kind of in literature in general. I just really, I love the way she was written. How about you? I think it might, it might be Wilbur just because he is such a hot mess. Yeah. And, and that's okay. It's okay. And he just stays a mental baby for so long. <laughs> And gets depressed and just lays in the barn and is sad. And then gets excited about food. And I was like, I understand you, Wilbur. I understand you. I like the honesty of Wilbur's ups and downs, too. Mm-hmm. Because I, I feel like that's a pretty common thing to show, like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> What did you think about? You guys, so this is an unprecedented moment in required recast. <laughs> I was thinking, I'm just going to sob throughout this whole episode. I was thinking that, like, even if you're a sad little pig and you're depressed and you live on a manure pile, a spider will still be your friend. It's true. So, like... There's hope for everyone. I do like that Wilbur's such a fuck-up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think I'm really sad about the spider dying. I think I am too. It's really depressing. Ah, shit. It's it's depressing, but at least it ends with that note of her legacy living on. But then they have to deal with the spiders dying in a few months again. It's true. It's going to happen all over again. Oh, okay, man. now I know, I know, oh, I know what my next question is. <laughs> I will ask it to you in a few minutes. Should I ask you mine, or do you need a moment? Uh, no, do we have to talk about characters anymore? Oh, right, no, our least favorite uh, character, which I are we in unison and thinking it's Avery? Yeah. I mean, I also really don't like Mrs. Arable either. Yeah, I think Mrs. Arable might be my least favorite. Yeah, because Avery kind of sucks, but he's also pretty typical. Like, well, I think Mom also contributed to that, mm-hmm. which maybe is another demerit for her. Yeah, but, but Mrs. Arable's just kind of... Like, when they go to the fair, she's really excited to go look at a deep freeze. <laughs> like, her whole day at the fair, she wants to go look at a box freezer. So and much- I love, there's this moment where they're like, it's so hot at the fair. And she's like, it is very hot. I feel like her whole angle is she's trying to get convinced, like, all she wants is to buy a freaking freezer. Maybe I should get a freezer. <laughs> and it wouldn't be so hot. Well, I kind of forgot at, like just how much money has changed between now and then. Because when... 
Fern's like, I need money, I need money, I need money. Mrs. Arable opens her purse and hands her 40, and I'm listening to the, this is the audiobook part, and I was like, $40? <laughs> 40 cents. cents. And I was like, oh, I thought the Arables were like being a little outlandishly generous, and I was like, oh no, money that's, was just very different. Yeah, like that's some expensive uh, Ferris wheel rides and cotton candy. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, the, the, the fair's expensive these days. When's the last time you went to a janky carnival in a parking actually, lot? <laughs> I haven't been to one of those, although there's one I see all the time off 225 at the mall or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that scares the hell out of me. Anything that requires, like, rides that are assembled and then disassembled, and that's constantly the process, really freaks me out. You're like, how can those be safe? Right. I mean, at least, like, Lakeside, for those of you who don't live in Denver, there's two amusement parks in Denver. <laughs> Elitch's, which used to be a Six Flags, and it's, it's a little fine, it's fine. Good old Lakeside. And Lakeside, which is right by my house, and it's... So fucking scary. And you know the Scooby gang has investigated crimes there. Like, it's nothing but rickety roller coasters and hauntings. We went, when Jess and Jeff were getting married, we went for, like, kind of, like, um, rehearsal, our rehearsal dinner party was at Lakeside. And we all, at some point, thought we were maybe not going to make it to the wedding because we were going to die on something. And it was totally worth it. And then there was funnel cake that wasn't fully cooked. (laughs) Her friend Jamie Ann. Hey, Jamie Ann, and Jamie Ann's mom listens to the pod, too. <laughs> Jamie gets this funnel cake, and she, like, cracks it open, and she's like, ooh, there's custard inside. And we're like, oh, no. Oh, no, it's just very undercooked. That's just uncooked funnel cake. <laughs> it's so, it so gross. I think, I think one of my scary moments was, because I hadn't been to Lakeside, I had never been there. Oh, shit. When we went on the major roller coaster, and I was like, oh, shit, they stopped this thing with a wooden handle. Yeah. Like, they stopped that roller coaster by, like, someone who looks like they're, like, 15, standing there with a wooden handle and cranking it till the ride stops. Well, and not only that, but the, um, but the safety strap on the wooden handle is a rope that's looping from the wall to the wooden handle. So if they really want to secure it, they take this little rope and loop it around the wooden handle, and that will keep the people from dying. And Ben Bonenfon, if you're listening, I think I still have lower back pain from our time on the chipmunk. But it was totally worth it. Oh, God. Anyway. Anyway. I might need to go to the state fair again this summer just because the last fair I went to was the actual Colorado State Fair, which is in Pueblo every summer and I went a couple of years ago with my friend and we had the because everything there is fried and we had the best time just like eating shitty fair snacks and but I didn't go on any rides oh my god um because well the they, rides are terrifying Denver County Fair which is kind of hipster like it's it seems like a pretty hipster event at the Coliseum it's, it's do they like, only have free range animals in and the livestock go, they show? have goat yoga so oh nice yeah but if you but, want to go to the stock show with me, I'll go with you in January. I don't know how I feel about it's it. It's fun. There's sheep and jammies. Now, are these ones, though, that they're selling for meat? Because that's, that's what I get. I'm like, oh, the sweet cow. And then sometimes you see a sign that's like, how much each of them, like, the cow parts weigh. And you're like, oh, Lord. I would not say that they're not sold for meat. <laughs> But I don't think they make it about the meat. Like, I think a lot of the stock show animals are like, oh, man, that's a good bull. It's going to make nice baby cows that we can use for okay. meat. Okay. Um, the sheep and jammies are fun. Like, well, the horse show's cute. fun. Any it's... animals and jammies I'm into. Um, anyway, so, yeah, I think Mrs. Arable kind of sucks. Yes. We, we're in agreement there. And Avery's a sociopath, the end. Well, my dis question for you was, was there anything as a kid that you, like, 
pulled a fern on? Like something that maybe like your parents were going to get rid of and you insisted on saving or an animal or any of that situation? Fucking everything. (laughs) Everything. I could get a connection to a sand crab. I lived in Southern California and we'd go to the beach and get like a bucket of sand and there's sand crabs in it and water and you'd bring it home and then they would be dead because you killed the sand crabs because you can't bring them out of the ocean. Um, And your little kid thinking you did a good thing and really you're like... Oh, yeah. Probably killing them more. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I definitely t- did a lot of that. Oh, you had told that story with the lizards. Oh, oh yeah. How sad. Uh, yeah, no, I ferned about everything. <laughs> and I could assign meaning to inanimate objects and feel very close to them now. And it's still kind of a problem. That's why I have so much shit in my house that Jeff's like, can we just throw this away? And I was like, no, I feel very deeply about this receipt from Target. <laughs> <laughs> because I, this is the first time I had a Red Bull that was coconut blue or whatever the hell the, what flavor Red Bull are we drinking um, today? These are the summer edition. They are in a white can and it's coconut berry. Oh, it's coconut. a new flavor. It's quite delicious. Yeah, we are not yet like sponsored by Red Bull, but we definitely should be. Oh, come on, Red Bull. Come on, Red Bull. Seriously, like Boss has been gunning for you to sponsor us for years. We love you. Yeah. Um, what about you? Did you fern out on anything? I... What came to mind was, I remember this time when we were at, um, we used to go to this place called The Ranch. It was a, a couple of pools, and like they had this big park, and we would go have family picnics and stuff there. And I remember one at one time, I think it was my aunt or uncle, somebody discovered that a bird's nest had fallen, and the baby bird was like still kind of in the nest, but on the ground. Mm. And nobody knew what to do with it. So I remember, like, I but I was like, we've got to save this bird. Like, it all of a sudden became, like, I think I convinced everybody that we had to do it. And I remember scooping. I think we put it in, like, a little, like, bowl or something. Like, we scooped the bird up and put it in. And I remember my parents, like, helped me. I think we put it back or near a tree. Like, we just tried to put it somewhere where it was... But I wanted to bring it home. And they were of like, course. we're not doing that. <laughs> um, but I, I was similar to you, where if there was any creature, I'm still like that. Like if any, like I could see a kid fall down and maybe not do anything. But if I see a dog just wandering the street, I pull over immediately and I'm like, I'm going to save this dog. Uh-huh. So. Well, now every time I see like a YouTube video of this woman rehabilitated a fox. And oh, now it's- <sighs> I was like, that could be me. Mm. I could don't don't rehabilitate animals. Don't I mean like wild animals? Like take it to a care facility. We're not the Audubon Society. Like, I watched one the other day. This woman who has a rescue where she rescues only senior dogs. Oh no! And no, no. then, oh god, she takes the senior dogs to assisted living homes where senior citizens live who don't get visits. <laughs> And I cried at my desk for a very long time when I saw that video. <laughs> so if you ever need to donate, I need to look up the name of it again. But if you, this woman is incredible. And that's People like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my are life. so amazing. Mm-hmm. Who are just like, I'm going to love this animal for however much longer it has. And like make sure it has the best fucking life. <sighs> so yeah. Okay, here's my disc question. Uh, well, what's better? If to to live through this inevitable life and death cycle mm. of meeting baby spiders and then they die every year, or to have left the sack at the fair 
and never to have met the spiders. I think it was still better that he took it. I think it gave Wilbur a new purpose. I think he felt like he honored Charlotte a little by doing that for her. She did so much for him that that was his way of like thanking her. And even though it is bittersweet that they die or move on, I think that he, it seems like they all still get enough good out of it to make it ultimately positive. It's got to be hard in that barn because like all of those animals have different life cycles. Mm-hmm. Like a horse can live past 30. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how long a pig lives, like 15 years? I feel like a pig probably lives as, the same as a dog. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, ducks and geese, how long do they live? They're probably Five not years? as long. Or sheep. Sheep, probably 10. If you're an agriculture expert, tweet at us at REQ Recast. Nobody taught me this at uh, uh, non-denominational Christian I have learned nothing. Camp. Yeah, exactly. I've learned nothing about the lifespans of animals. But yeah, I think, I think ultimately it's still better that he did that. Yeah, I guess. You don't? No, I think, I think it's, it was right it's to bring it back. Yeah. But like after... All of those little spiders hatched. I feel like after this one, it would be real hard yeah. to watch those three spiders die. Mm-hmm. And then raise their kids, and then watch those spiders die. Like, eventually, wouldn't summer just become a life cycle of, like, having to make a friend and then say goodbye Ugh. to the friend? How many times can a pig do that before they just lay on the ground and get depressed? When does Wilbur just permanently faint, and they can't get him back oh, up? Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, you know, now Fern is interested in boys, so she's never going to be at that yeah, barn Yeah, she doesn't again. go visit anybody. I think they even allude to that of, like, Fern started growing up, and she didn't visit the barn as much. That's such, a, like, a tip, not typical girl thing, but um, you see it, like, um, you see that happen a lot, because, like, I ha- have a horse, and I ride. And so you see all these girls, like, when they're, you know, younger, and then until they become teenagers, like, who are just really into their horses or their ponies, and then they hit high school, and they get a driver's license, and, like, learn what boys are and then they don't they just you see a lot of really expensive horses abandoned mm. it's really nutso interesting I mean you know the parents of course try to sell this five figure horse they bought for their Jeez. child it's so fucking nuts ay ay just to be clear to everyone listening I am not one of the super rich horsey people my horse was on sale <laughs> discount horses I got a discount horse <laughs> isn't that what they say in the Simpsons Homer's like oh, don't you have any discount horses they do, Homer Simpson, and I've got her, so... Our ponies start at $5,000. Cash. Well, isn't there, like, a pound where you can pick up cheap ponies that ran away from home? I sincerely hope not. Uh, see, we we got a Simpsons quote in there someplace. Oh, we worked real hard at it. Well, I think, I mean, we've talked about the play, um, and there were two different movies, like, there, the cartoon was in 1973, and I, I watched I watched the hell out of that thing. So much. We did not talk about Templeton gorging himself at the fucking fair. Dude, Templeton goes ham on that fair food. <laughs> <laughs> when he is like, it's like Hunter S. Thompson trippiness in that movie. Like, he gets all engorged. Smorgasbord, orgasbord. <laughs> I remembered those songs all came rushing back. I couldn't find, like, I found the, there was a trailer for it on YouTube, and it played clips of a bunch of the songs, and I seriously, they're ingrained in my brain somewhere, because all of those songs came rushing back to me. But yeah, that, that part is hysterical, and the illustration in that part of the book is so funny, of just this super fat Templeton. 
Oh, it's and it just makes all the garbage that he eats look amazing. Oh, yeah, he's real into it. Um, and then there was the live. There was a live action film as well in two thousand six, which had a pretty ringer cast actually. Like Julia Roberts voiced Charlotte, and Oprah was the goose for crying out loud. And who's the girl in that? Is that Mara? Whatever. No, no. Dakota Fanning. Oh my god, the yep. Fanning. I know it was either that. One who was in Stuart Little or Dakota Fanning were in all the yep. <laughs> little kids' parts. That seemed to be like the... I, I felt like that live-action Charlotte's Web was sort of trying to cash in on Babe. Yeah, that was around Babe times. You're right. So so why the fuck do you think we read this? Do I kids can, still read it, you think? I'm well, guessing. I wonder... Because, you know, you said, like, it, it'd always just been in your brain. And I can't remember the first time I read it. And all of our friends who chimed in on the Facebook thread, n- like, uh, our friend Jen Zuko was, like, was the one who was like, hey, I, um, I walked into kindergarten carrying the book. And my, and my teacher asked, oh, did somebody read that to you? And she was like, oh, hell no. I read it myself. Yeah, and um, I was like, I like this girl because I was like that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I like she was like, the teacher had no idea what she was in for for the next couple years. Mm-hmm. But, um... Yeah, I don't ever remember it being assigned per se. But I wonder I, if it was on the list of books you could read always, for book reports. Yeah, like everyone read it. Or they just sold it at the book fair. Because everyone knew this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like kids still do. Well, and also, you know, you've done a children's theater production. I've done a children's theater production. They're still running productions of it mm-hmm. at Arvada. So I'm like, clearly, because schools tend to like to go see things that they require their kids to read. So Yeah, and I mean, if it's already... 60 plus, like, this is definitely an enduring story. I, I was thinking really hard about that, about why did we have to read it. And mm-hmm. I I can see so many reasons, but I don't know what the, what the, like, administrative reason would be. I mean, it's friendship. It's about life and death. I think it's a little bit about, like, compassion to people who aren't like you. I think it's a good way for adults and teachers to present these lessons to kids in, like, a palatable way. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think there's a lot of good reasons to read it for sure. Yeah, like and then it the also things. on top of that is well written. Mm-hmm. It's a well written children's book, which I think kids being exposed to good writing early is important. Yeah, I would say it promotes empathy. Yes, yeah. definitely that. Uh, teachers I like mean, to see their kids cry. That's why they read this. It'll book. make you cry to your grown oh. people like us. So yeah, this one's like a no-brainer to me. I, I hope that this book sticks around forever. I hope so too. I don't feel like it's going to go away. No. Kids still read it. Uh, but speaking of children's books, Lauren introduced me to a children's book that I hadn't read yet. I was oh. aware of. But can we talk a little bit? Just a real postscript. Yeah. This is a quick little... So if you want a modern children's animal story. Oh, so wonderful. <laughs> um, the Marlon Bundo book. I've been really into it. Where did Marlon Bundo go? Marlon, where are you? Hold on. So the full title is A Day in the Life of Marlon Bundo. And you may have heard of this because uh, John Oliver, who I love, um, he wrote... So Marlon Bundo is a real-life rabbit. He is (laughs) the rabbit of Vice President Pence and his wife. And his wife wrote a book about him. And um, John Oliver decided to write a new version. Or a better version. A better version, I think. Um, 
where he put a twist to it where Marlon meets another boy bunny and they want to get boy bunny married. They just they they, they just want to hop together and they want to hop together else. for the rest of their lives. And their friends are so happy for their happiness. And then an angry stink bug comes and tells them they cannot. Yeah, and I'll let you guess who the stink bug represents. Um, anyway. but I but I th- I highly recommend. I just picked it up. I bought a copy at Barnes and Noble just because I. They also are donating. Um, I do. I believe they are still donating part of the proceeds to um, LGBTQ uh, organizations. But I highly recommend if you want to read a modern story that will teach a lot of empathy to kids in the form of animals. Um, this book has a lot of really sweet things to say about who we love and that we can love whoever we want it's really nice and it's I very sweet don't have any more tears to cry no i'm done i mean there are grooms otters <laughs> oh i'm done <laughs> so yeah so if you want a new modern story um this is it's it's very short it's even shorter than uh charlotte's web get yourself a little copy of uh, a, a day, day in, in the life, life of marlon, marlon bundo. bundo it's adorable written by marlon bundo with jill twist Illustrated by E.G. Keller. Yes. Sponsored by John Oliver. The bunny has a bow tie, and the boy bunny, Wesley, he falls in love with, has glasses. It's really great. And it's real cute. They're stylish bunnies. Yes. Oh, well. Well, we're all cried out over here. I'm exhausted. I have to go home and be so sad. I don't know how you're going to. I know I need to give you another Red Bull so you can make it home. Oh, my God. Well, hey, listeners, we will see you guys in August-ish. Yeah, and don't worry. Keep following us on all the social medias because we're still going to be posting things. And like we we joked about a summer reading list, but we really will be um, cluing you all into what we're going to be discussing early in our next season so that you can read along. Yeah, so we'll have a, we'll have a kind of a, se- a tentative season lineup or at least the beginning of it coming out at the end of the summer and you'll hear our lovely voices coming in your ears. Uh, you'll hear our lovely voices over the headphones into your ears. <laughs> Ayo! Ayo! <laughs> hey! Uh, but in the meantime, um, I think you should... Uh, Stay gold, Fern. Oh, stay gold, Marlon Bundo. <laughs> uh, stay gold, little goslings. Oh, stay gold, stay gold, stay gold, geese. <laughs> stay gold, Templeton. Stay gold, Avery, you sociopathic piece of shit. Oh, stay gold, Charlotte A. Cavatica. Stay gold, Charlotte. Stay gold, some pig. Stay gold, Jess. Stay gold, Lauren. Thank you for listening to Required Readcast. If you enjoyed the show, head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a rating and or review. We're also available on Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at REQ Readcast. Required Readcast is produced by Sexpot Comedy. Theme music and lyrics by Max McEwen and Noah Evan Wilson. Vocals by Aaron C. Willis. Stay gold, bookworms! This has been a Sex Pot Comedy Joint. Collaborative, community-driven comedy produced by Andy Jewett and Kayvon Kalitvari. Headquartered in Denver, Colorado, with technical support from Isaac Miller. Every day at sexpotcomedy.com or at a show near you. Until next time, be well, friends.